I don't fashion myself as much of a photographer, Your Grace. I've never been much for taking pictures and shooting cameras and whatnot. From what they tell me, though, the RGGEDU podcast is among the best in the land. You'd be wise to hear what they have to say. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink mead with your favourite photographers. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a creative comes from removing the guesswork. Understanding light is a tricky business. That's why Sakonic light meters are the perfect solution for any photographer wanting to get more from their studio lights. Light meters are more than just a measurement tool. They are a gateway to understanding how to shape light and to use it to create beautiful images consistently. Head to Sakonic.com to see how a light meter can help you stop all the guesswork. In this episode, we're joined with Michael Coleman, film director, cinematographer, and all-around badass, another one. Another one. Uh, there had, are quite a few that we've had walk through our doors today. Yeah. You know? Today, this this week. It's been cool. So give me the elevator pitch on what do you do? How do you describe yourself? What's what's your what's your style? You know, it's funny because I remember the first time um, I heard the, the term predator, predator <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the producer-editor role of, like, you know, someone who shoots, someone who edits, someone who does a little bit of everything. I was like, yeah, I think that, that that's what I am. I never wanted to say I'm a filmmaker, I'm a cinematographer. I think like anyone, when you start off, you just want to get work and you just want to make money. So for long, I was just like, I'm, I'm that guy. Like if you have a video need, call me. And that was for a long time. And then obviously it was more like, all right, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a film director. I'm an editor. So much of what I do is kind of short form documentary. And so I, I love to uh, work closely with my clients and my collaborators. So whether that's just me shooting or editing or directing. Um, kind of depends project to project like everybody, but I love to shoot. I love to edit some some projects more than others. But <laughs> So yeah. how did you, you get into the business? What, yeah. was, your, what was your pathway? Um, I went to a technical college um, in Emeryville in the Bay Area called Expression College for New Media. It was a two-year program, accelerated program, to get a degree in audio engineering. I really thought I wanted to do sound for feature films being in the bay area it was like go work at skywalker sound and it's like okay great like right. everyone has that dream like let's go get that job at skywalker but i quickly realized this is in 2001 so like final cut three i guess had just shown up mm-hmm. and it was you know it's like panasonic dvx 100s and like mini dv was all the rage and um i learned editing i learned shooting i learned lighting um but i really enjoyed the collaboration or the relationship of sound and visuals. And so I wanted to figure out a way, how can I do, tell stories, but tell them about sound, tell them about music, tell them about the people. And so being in the Bay Area, I found um, one of the first people I started working with was um, Mix Magazine, which is kind of, you know, a, a print web magazine that features professionals in the field. And we were doing these behind the scene videos. And one of the first ones we did was at Skywalker Sound. I think it was Randy Tom for Ratatouille. Mm. Um, we did Ratatouille and then we did on this mixer, Michael Semantic for There Will Be Blood. And it was just like, how cool is it to hang out with these people that are working on these amazing projects? And so just based off of the fact that print was kind of losing its footing with money wise, they're like, well, we can't really pay you anymore to make these videos. I was like, that's too bad. I really enjoyed doing this. Like, uh, and and we were only doing Skywalker Sound at the time. Um, and so I said, "I, I would just love to do this. Is it okay if I kind of break off and still kind of feed you guys content and so in 2009 i started a video series called soundworks collection and myself and a buddy just kind of went down um, to la and we tom the editor at mix had given me all the contacts and he said just call them 
tell them what you want to do. Say you're from Mix. So I was like, oh, I'm Michael Coleman from Mix Magazine. You know, we want to do a video feature on you. And these guys don't really get much love. And so they're like, oh, my gosh, like, tell us what you want to do. So we went to Warner Brothers. We did, um, I remember we did Watchmen was out. Um, the uh, Terminator Salvation, I think, was out. I mean, this is, you know, 2009. Um, and so we did a bunch of these. And I just kind of created a website. I remember it was a terrible, like, WordPress theme. <laughs> so bad and it had like poster frames i was like oh this is it like i, I figured it out <laughs> you had arrived yeah i arrived <laughs> and you and you know you create a um you create something and you put it out on the website and you don't really know who's gonna reach who you're gonna reach um but people it's a small community um the sound community you know sound designers sound editors foley dialogue um and so just kind of by word of mouth it got shared online and people started reaching out to me and one of the first ones I remember was this um, Greg Russell, who's a really good friend now, who's Michael Bay's mixer. And he's like, do you want to come and cover Transformers? I'm like, yeah, I, I do want to cover Transformers. And so um, that was one of the first times that someone had reached out to me and said, do you want to you know, come to the mix stage? Uh, and they were, I think, at Sony at the time. And, and we just went and made a short little documentary. And they're usually like less than 10 minutes. Um, and that was just kind of the beginning. And I, I just treated the first two years as like, I'm not expecting to make any money. I'm not... All I want out of this is to be able to create the type of content, tell the type of stories that I want, um, and bring some light and some attention to these people. Because to me, I, th I thought they were just so underserved, and their work is so amazing. And I just felt like it's so much easier to tell stories about sound with video than a lot of traditional text and news yeah, articles. Yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So yes. how much access and time are you getting? Yeah. Like when you, you're a video on Hacksaw Ridge, and you get to sit mm. down and like yeah. talk with Mel Gibson about yeah. like how that came together, like. Are you, is you, yeah. you have six hours or a day, you have a week. <laughs> That's like, a unique, I mean, you know, there's some like those really amazing. I remember the first time I was adamant about getting uh, a composer and it was for social network. I was like, I want Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross because I love their music. And I was like, this is really amazing that they're doing this music. And so like, I remember I had gone and I tracked down Trent's manager and I said, I really would love to get Trent to sit down. And he was so at it. He was like, you know, I don't know who you are, like yeah. what you're doing. And I was like, oh, come on, man. So that one didn't work. But then when we came back around for Dragon Tattoo, he was like, all right, like, you're still at me. You're still coming and asking for requesting to interview Trent. And so sure enough, we were able to do that. And that was like the first composer I got. The first director, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but there were a few early on. Definitely, um, gosh, like Robert Zemeckis for Flight, um, uh, Joe Kazin, uh, Joe. Joseph from Oblivion, what's his what's Kaczynski? I his last name. I don't know. Um, the director, the director of Oblivion. There were a few of those. Toy Story three. There were a handful of them. And then, um, so like for instance, like that one with um, Mel Gibson. That was you know, uh, I just have a relationship with Kevin O'Connell, the sound um, recording mixer, and he said, you know, would you be interested in featuring Hacksaw Ridge? I said, sure. I I don't know anything about it. The film's on, and usually I'm interviewing the the team maybe a month or so before the film comes out, so I can't go to a theater and see it. Yeah, so I'm like. It. Blind yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable going out and interviewing you guys without seeing the film. So, all right, well, we'll get you a screening. I was like, really? And so, at the time, oh, I was you like, get to see all these before <laughs> they come out. <laughs> sometimes, awesome. sometimes. So for this one, I, I was expecting that it was gonna be like a press screening, and 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 I went and I went to the theater. I'm like, where is everybody? They're like, oh no, you're it. I'm like, you guys wrenched out the theater for me to see this film. I was like, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And and it was because once again, it's like. 
for these guys to get the attention and to get these stories, it's so hard. There's there's so many, you know, there's stars, there's these big directors, there's so many other reasons not to focus on sound. And so they really went out of their way. And one of the things I, I told Kevin, I was like, well, if we could get Mel, obviously it'd be make the piece so, it's so much more interesting to have a director talk about their collaborators and vice versa. And they just ran up the, the flagpole and Mel was like, sure. And so the day of, it was like, well, why don't you come to the mix stage? We'll do all the interviews. And we interviewed all the the editorial team and the sound team. And then we had, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes with Mel. And we could have had more if we needed it, but that's all we really needed. And then we spent maybe an hour or two on the mix stage shooting some B-roll. And then the rest of the material we get from the studio, all the clips and EPK and all that stuff, and the soundtrack. And we make, and it's just now because people understand what, what my intent is, why I want to tell these stories, that they are like, well, we, we want that. We want whatever, whatever you do, we want that for us. And, like, and a great example is Resident Evil 7, same team, the Capcom team from Japan. Like three out of the five guys don't even speak English. They're like, we'll get you a translator. We'll get you transcriptions. I was like, that, that's like, that'd be fantastic because I, I, I just can't do it any other way. And this is, you know, people, I think now understand what I'm trying to do. And so they, you know, it's a, it's a really cool collaboration. So I'm for, I feel fortunate that starting something in 2009 as this like passion project, now that people understand what I wanted to do, um, they really just, they, they really make it, a lot easier than it was before. I'd have, I'd have publicists that would, had never been on a mixed stage. And I was just like, have you ever been on a soundstage before? They're like, no, it's the first time. It's really cool. I'm like, all right. And they're like the gatekeepers. So it's like, all right, well, enjoy. This is going to be fun. You know? Why do you think sound is so overlooked? Because if you strip sound out of any movie, any video, it's, there's not much there in many ways. It's, so, it's, yeah. it's such an important part of telling the story and setting the mood and getting someone's heartbeat to change. Yeah. Um, but it really gets overlooked. Like I know it, with the Tony Awards, they stripped the the sound out of it yeah. for a couple of years. I think that it just came back. It just, yeah, it just came back. Yeah. A friend of mine is a sound designer in Chicago yeah. and had been lobbying to get it back. It's just, why is it overlooked? Because without it, everything falls yeah. apart. I mean, if you go, I had a lot of fun um, reading my, um, my father-in-law. It's a huge cinephile. When, when he met me, he was like, the son I never had. I was, like, <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, what have I done? And he knows more than me. And he has like the basement, the home theater and, and the seven one set up. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what did I just walk nice. into? But the thing was, he, he he gave me a really good appreciation, understanding of where it came from, which was like sound editors. They were typically in the studio system. They were women. And it evolved and the system was a very controlled and it was a very um, literal use of sound. And, yeah. he, you know, talkies and I'm not going to bore people with the whole like right. evolution, but... It got to a point, you know, with people like Walter Murch, uh, people like Ben Burt, people like Randy Tom and, and, and Gary Rydstrom, some of these guys who were doing these films that really changed the relationship. I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park as a kid, it was like, wow, I've never, I've never been felt in danger because of right. the sound. And so I think people don't know how to treat sound because it emotionally affects us, but we can't see it or touch it. Yes, I guess you can see, you know, you can see sound waves in the water and you can feel bass in the air, but it's not that, that there's not a physical aspect to it. And so, you know, it's always so funny, like when you see, you know, NAB even like you see like, oh, we have 3D and all these resolutions and audio is like, we have H, we've, we've had HD forever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, no one wants to, yeah. no one wants to listen to it. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah, it's, I think it's because it's not something that we can like really 
fully grasp i think you can but hear you can, it yeah you, you can feel you it you can though. feel it yeah i mean it, it yeah. sound can literally go through you it can change your heart rhythm yeah it can yeah. It, in a movie it can completely change yeah. what you're thinking what you're feeling well why do we why do we always listen to music even when we're by ourselves it, it keeps it's it's a good friend and it's something that i feel like we when we want to feel a certain way then you know how to tap into that it's this drug that we just take for granted because nowadays it's so amazing it's so convenient and we can get it anywhere that it's just another, I guess, commodity, which is, you know, a, there's pros and cons to all technology. I feel like we're in an incredible place now for discovery. I, like, I hadn't been using SoundCloud for a long time. And when I did, I was like, oh, this is great. I love and Bandcamp and some of the other streaming title and some of the other streaming formats. Just discovery is fantastic. So you mentioned yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. You, you did get to make a short on the, the most recent Jurassic, Jurassic World. Park, yeah. Jurassic World. Yeah. What was that like? How did, uh, they, how did they create those sounds? Um, you know, it's it's. A lot of it's performance-based. You'd think that they're just using, like, oh, it's the sound of a dinosaur, and it's going to be a lion, and it's going to be, like, these elements you put together. Um, yes and no. I mean, so much, I think, the good sounds are these kind of performances. If you look even at that video, you see um, Pete Horner, and I think in that movie there's, like, this, like, that glow ball that the kids are, like, rolling around in. And, like, you know, he's physically performing the sound to match picture. And there's I think whenever there's a performance aspect to creating the sound, you have a better way of connecting with it and so i think yeah. a lot of you know I, I think we've now been around movies long enough like this is what something should sound like and so there's an expectation even with kong more recently I mean, it's like oh well we all know what kong's supposed to sound like but then when you see it you're like oh your expectation is kind of confused and i think that's good I, you know i don't think it's always great to always just never be surprised yeah but, yeah what's the the weirdest way um that you've found through mm. doing these shorts that someone has come up with a, a unique sound uh, to do something. Oh man. I mean, there's, there's incredible things I've seen with um, dry ice on metal uh, and, and like Erica Dahl and Ethan Van Der Rijn, the guys who do a lot of all Michael Bay's and all, all the transformer stuff. It's stuff that they want. You want an element of weight. You want an element of um, uh there's weight, there's like texture, um, visceral is a word that I hear a lot being thrown around. Um, you want something that you connect with. And so he, he did recordings of his dog, like Bumblebee. It's actually his little dog that he's like slows down in processing. Um, so I feel like it's always like the combination of something that's inanimate and something that's alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love, I love, I, lo I loved it when I did um, a panel with Eric at the Savannah Film Festival, I think two years ago. And, you know, people just, you hear, the the source material and then you hear it played together and you hear what he's, how he's processed it completely changes and to me like that's i love it when you take something that's like an animal with something that's so yeah not an animal and, yeah so where do a lot of your yeah. where does a lot of your work end up is it used yeah. in like extras on dvds mm -hmm. or where does it go um a, a few places sometimes there's been a few cases where that it has gone the first one like scott pilgrim vs the world whenever that came out um edgar wright saw it and was like this is great can we put on the blu-ray i'm like yeah you can like and this isn't stuff that i was even getting paid for it was just kind of like i want the exposure i want i want yeah. this stuff to get out there and that was great um like john chu for gi joe retaliation that did all's lost um there's been a handful of them um i'm trying to remember all there's probably six or seven maybe even more that uh oh the metallica one through the never that one was really fun the rolling stone crossfire hurricane so there's been a few on home release. That's just me kind of catching the studio at the right time. Yeah. By the time they finish the print master for the film for theatrically, they're also shipping the home release. So it's like if you're not talking with these guys the same day, it's usually you kind of miss that window, yeah. which is always just, 
you know, it's kind of catch them if you can. Otherwise, it goes on the website, goes on iTunes, which is great because then people can watch it through Apple TV or streaming. Yeah. Um, it's so funny when hearing Nino talk about Vimeo. I started at Vimeo because it, it was HD when I started in 2008. Yeah. I was like, forget YouTube. Yeah. I, you know, for a while I thought Vimeo <laughs> was going to go ahead of YouTube, but yeah. then like kind of went the opposite direction. Now, like Vimeo is doing cool things like Vimeo Pro for like hosting. So yeah. you know how to use that correctly. Yeah. That's actually pretty powerful. Um, the on demand, I think, is, Absolutely. Is, is pretty rad. And then they also, have you heard of Vimeo VHX? Yes. Well, VHX was a separate thing before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah it's, it's before fantastic. they bought it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's great. It's like your own Netflix channel. I, I, like I a think Netflix the, yeah. platform. Yeah. No, I think the problem is I think people want to compare a Vimeo to YouTube, and yeah, they're totally yeah, different. It's, it's too, they're totally different. Yeah, yeah. Vimeo, I think, is a much prettier platform. And yeah. YouTube is definitely if you want to find cat videos, if you want to find yeah, sure, rock and roll videos. I mean, it's, like, everything is. Oh, on, but there's a great, know. there's a, a fantastic, even you know, like we we're saying, Devin, you know, Super Tramp, like a lot of really good content creators. Right. My good friend um, Michael Tucker, who does this series about uh, screenplays, he just started it. I think he's maybe less than ten episodes, and he has like three hundred thousand followers. His episodes are getting hundreds of thousands each and it's like oh man if i only was on youtube when i started this damn video series i would be in a different place but it's like i'm i i picked vimeo for a reason it's i like the aesthetic i like that it was hd and i like the people that work there yeah. i mean i've met you know a handful of people over the years that work there and it's like it's nice to know who is behind the scenes not just for sure the oogle yeah <laughs> so yeah going back to the extras um yeah i recently actually just started buying uh, like on itunes oh what'd you buy um uh, movies. I bought Arrival, mm -hmm. and then have you seen the extras mm -hmm. for the sound design mm -hmm. section? That was insane. Yeah. So like, when I see stuff like this, that would that's a leading, yeah. I guess, cause for me to actually want to buy like a, a digital copy and yeah. not like a, a DVD. I think when you dig in, like even like you look at you know Rogue One, David Fincher has some of the best special features, director commentary, yeah. hours of extra features, stuff that people like me and filmmakers and creatives love. You yeah. want to hear that those commentaries. Um, that's, it's the same thing with music. Like, oh, we don't have the liner notes, we don't have the artwork. Kind of like you lose the extra features. I remember when I first started Soundworks and I was talking with some of the guys who worked for the studios, and they're like, there's no money in doing producing extra feature stuff. Um, and, like, that's probably true. Um, there's still a need because I feel like we have one chance to kind of capture these stories, and then it kind of goes into the archives and gets made into a disc, and then it's in Target and... <laughs> after, that's it. Yeah. Did you hear that interview after Bowie died with his uh, sound producer? No. Was oh. um, I was. I'm a pretty big Bowie fan, and yeah. last year after he died, his sound producer, um, they did a, a, an interview with him about a half hour, hmm. um, and, and they had worked together for a long time, like 25, 30 years, and uh, they broke down how they made Heroes. Oh, geez. Like going through every layer and every track, and yeah. it was it was so fascinating to hear the sound engineer talk about it because. You know, you, in, in many ways, I don't think you consider the people who are really putting the sounds together. And he was talking about how both Eno and Kale were, were just trying to make the craziest sounds that they could come up yeah. with. And that they were overlaying them and stretching them out and really tweaking out the sounds. And then just other really cool stories about, uh, like, David Bowie was kind of struggling at one point. And he, he wanted everybody to get out of the, out of the, um, the recording studio, which mm -hmm. was in this tiny little... Um, warehouse space that, that they had in East Berlin, literally right on the wall. Mm. Uh, and the sound engineer and the uh, the backup singer 
uh, went outside and they were they were standing by the wall and they started having the ki- having a kiss. They were making out and stuff. And uh, Bowie could see them from in there, and that line wound up in the in the song. And it was just it's just so cool when you. But hear it means something to you, right? I mean, oh, man, yeah, yeah, everything. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I listened to that that interview twice because I, I was yeah. so fascinated by it. It literally gave me goosebumps. Understanding like how they put that music together, how they created that sound. I think your favorite bands, your favorite artists, your that person is going to eat up everything. I think that's yeah. like I might. I might not myself personally, you know, be the biggest fan of whatever I'm covering, but I'm a fan of the people that are working on it. And I'm a fan of the passion that they have for that project, no matter what the box office is. Um, I just feel like that to me is more important than, you know, what the, the Ron Tomatoes <laughs> can says. <laughs> I don't know. It's, right, when, the, the thing is, once you meet these people and you put a face to the name and a name to the credit on the screen, it's like, these are your friends, and and you want you know you want to support them, and that's how I feel about, especially for the Soundworks collection stuff. So yeah, so was it a struggle for you? Because you put a couple years into it before yeah. it really kind of grew. Were yeah. you having a hard time saying like I got to stick this out, or were you just so passionate about it you could never give it up for a second? I mean, honestly, like the the reality was is like I was originally like I was saying, oh, I'm using Mix Magazine like to get in, but then once they started knowing me, it was more of like, well, I want to continue this because I'm meeting. It's a small community, but there's still so many people. So for me, it was like an opportunity to meet hundreds of people over these years and composers. And, you know, it's I remember like you're asking, like, um, even before a director, I remember when I got asked, like, oh, would you want to do an interview with Hans Zimmer on Interstellar? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. (laughs) Like when? So, like, I I think, you know, I I never I'll, I'll probably never stop doing this. I think my expectation of I've always never I've never treated it as like oh, I need to release a video every month or I need to do a podcast every week or like like that because then it becomes work and I've never wanted it to be work. So I guess to answer your question, it was like the first two years, it was like, I'm just trying to understand what this is. And then when I kind of figured it out, um, it was great timing because then I, went, I connected with Dolby and they were just launching Dolby 7.1 and then maybe a few years later, Dolby Atmos. And for them, for anyone who doesn't know Dolby Atmos, like this object-based, it's a very different approach and they needed to educate everybody about it. And so... Um, working with them, they just basically hired me to go around and do do what I do. But then also, the people that were using Dolby Atmos to explain that technology, and so it was like a cool opportunity for me to do what I do and help them get their word out, which I thought was like really. What do you mean? Yeah. It's object based. So not channel based. So okay. like usually you might say like, oh, this sounds going to the left channel. It's because it scales based off of the size of the theater. You might have, and there's overhead channels too, and there's bass management and. And there's incredible opportunities to move sounds um, around the space. Like you might hear it jump from like the sidewall to the back wall. In this case, the transition is incredibly smooth because there's more speakers and how they mix it. It just translates better. It scales down and up based off, based out, um, on the studio size. So it's not channel based. And that's why they can say, oh, well, we can take this technology to the home or to the feet into the headphones because it's, it's kind of like it's metadata basically. Um, we're not relying on a five one seven one like in left center right type of dialogue is always in the middle, but yeah. So who who are the companies that are really making headway with sound right now? Like who's Adobe? Obviously, is still cutting yeah. edge technology. Um, who else is out there? That, that's... Gosh, I mean, and in terms of like what industry do you think like theatrically or any or what what. Well, one of the people you yeah. know you cover, I mean, yeah. both uh, theater and and. Sound. I mean, I love. I I mean, I love. Meyer Sound, and just because, and they're a speaker company in Berkeley. It's John and Helen Meyer, and they've been around. They just celebrated 50 years. And to me, I really appreciated, um, they're very engineer heavy. 
mm-hmm. but they have such an appreciation for quality. And people are like, oh, this stuff costs so much money. But like, you look at the artists who use it, you know, we, we shot some stuff with Metallica. And, you know, when you hear a Metallica show and you're like, oh my God, my ears are going to bleed. Your ears don't bleed. You know, like, it's not, it's not about being loud. It's just about being present and powerful and the mosh pit will make you bleed. Yeah, the mosh pit. Yeah, physically. Yeah, I moshed with uh, Aaron Nace at the last Metallica concert in Chicago. It was awesome. You did? Yeah, I got we got him in there. I was like, should we do it? Aaron Nace just went Yeah, so because we're, like, we're at the edge and like like there was like three or four like around us, right? Yeah. And it's like fuck. Like I kind of want to mosh, but I'm like, ah, I'm, I don't want to get hurt. Like. But then, like, bigger too. Then, you were a little yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got in. Boy, you can handle yeah, yourself. I got in. It was just like, oh man. Yeah, be careful, man. You throw someone's elbow in someone's face, and they're like, their mom's gonna show up and be like, yeah. sorry. I've <laughs> done that in 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the art of listening. A, yeah. a big project you just recently uh, released. Yeah, it was. Um, let's see. We, well, we finished it la- a year ago. Uh, we did a private screen at South by Southwest, and that was because we. Um, the short of the, the short of the story is, um, I had a good friend who was working at Sony uh, Electronics, and I and he was working in the high res group. And I told him about this idea that we had and pitched it. And then eight months later, they came back like, "Oh, we that idea that you told us about, we'd love to find out more." And so um, eight months go by, and we finally got a contract, and we finally got a budget, and then we spent the next year um, shooting this documentary, The Art of Listening. And I was really trying to tell the journey of music from uh, the artist to the listener. Really, well, the journey of music to the listener. And we wanted the show. The instrument makers, the engineers, the producers, the manufacturers who make headphones and speakers, and um, everyone in between that touches it. So that when it gets to the listener, you might understand the intent a little better. Yeah. What, what, what the listener should be hearing. We're not always hearing, but you should be hearing. So it was, it was, we were trying to educate and inspire people to, see, to ask more of their music. So um, it was an incredible project. It was about, I guess, we were in production maybe a little bit over a year. And because we were partnered with Sony... It really gave us the opportunity to go different places, Chicago, New York, Nashville, San Francisco, L.A., Japan. Um, it's hard. It was my first feature doc. I've worked on other my other friends' docs. Um, I learned a hell of a lot from it, and I feel like I was scared but also inspired to do another one, and that's where I am now. So what were the yeah. challenges you, you were facing? Why was it so hard? It's hard because you don't know, like— you might just say like, oh, let's just go find this person, interview them. But if you don't know, if you don't spend the time or maybe you don't really think about how it's going to feed into the overall story. We had 40 some plus people in the, in the piece just based off of the, the approach that we wanted. And everyone's important. Everyone has something to say that's unique to them. Um, and, you know, you go in with an intent when you shoot, but then when you get to the edit, obviously you really figure it out. And I think to me, I learned, I, I wish I put more emphasis on the pre-production, even though we spent so much time already. I think it's just based off of um, experience. You just you don't really know what you need until you've gone through it, and then you you're done with your shoots and you look at your footage and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. And and then you know you just got to work with what you have. So I think for me that was interesting. That was um, that was a big learning part, and also just expectation of the client. I felt like there was never really Sony never really had expectation. We didn't have expectation. We were all just like I think excited to do a project. And, and that was kind of the bar. And so um, it was, to me, it was, I was, just, I was just excited to have my idea get greenlit and you're making money, not making money, but you, your time is being covered. Yeah. No right. one makes, no one makes money from documentary filmmaking, which, <laughs> which is like my pet peeve, um, which is too bad that people can't make uh, a really. We do. 
Shake and bake. R-G-G-E-D-U.com. Nice. Nice voiceover. Yeah, that was throwing it down there. Um, it's and that's why I balance balance out now my client work. I'll, I'll, I like I like the I love the people I work my clients and I have a really close relationship with them. So I don't feel like they are clients. I feel like it's a collaboration. And then I'm now like putting my attention, my time into the the next you know feature because I think the feature stuff it really stretches you, it scares you, and it makes you like second guess yourself, which I think is refreshing because after you know I've. I guess I, I got done with school in 2003, so I've been doing this for a little bit now. And I feel yeah. like when you start, just you can show up to a shoot. You really don't need to think about much, and you know exactly what you're going to get out of a shoot. And the, client, the client's stoked, and you're like, all right, great. Client's happy. I'm happy. That's when that's when I started, like, all right, I need to reevaluate you know, what my intent is and what I want to really spend the next 10 years doing. What's the next feature? What do you want um, to I can't say. Uh, <laughs> but bummer. it is about sound. After, well, I will say, after we stop recording, I'll tell you guys, yeah. but for everyone else. Yes. Ah, nice. We get the inside yes. track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at us. It's, it, it's definitely about sound, and it, it's very derivative of this, the stuff I do for Sour's Collection. But to me, it was it was something that I always wanted to do, but was I scared myself away from it because I said, I don't know if, if I'm ready. I don't know if it makes sense. But then, sure enough, after kicking his, my wife saying, well, they're not saying no, and it's a great idea. I, I love it. Then you should do it. I kept at it. And I think I pitched it last October and about a week ago, I got the green light. So oh, congratulations. Yeah. So Fab- fabulous. Yeah. So I think, I think 20, I'm hoping to be done by the end of 2018. So you mentioned the next 10 years. What, yeah. what do you want to do in the next 10 years? Where do you want to go now that you've kind of yeah. established yourself, you've got your projects and you're off and running. Where do you want to go? Um, well, I, I think the reason why I wanted to do feature length projects i feel like there's an opportunity to tell better and longer stories to a, bri- uh, a wider audience and so i want to continue telling stories about sound and music and audio very similar to the vein of what i do with sound Wars collection mm-hmm. but do it in a way i think when you saw like um uh oh my gosh really space and what um what's about the guitarist guy the singer guy that was a few years ago that they found searching for sugarman Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, that's a cool story. Yeah, what a, a crazy yeah, story. Yeah, it's great. I, I think like those little nuggets of people that get lost in time, and like that to me was a great example. Um, Jiro dreams of sushi. It's a great example yeah, of, yeah. you know, something that I felt was like, what a great story about someone who's so, you know, we've we've met those people before, but we've never spent the time to learn their stories. Right. That to me is really important. I don't think spending a lot of time being around and like just focusing on the tentpole projects, the big blockbusters. It's not like you get like desensitized. You just, it's like there's other people doing great work and you want to sh- show them off too. So yeah. that to me was really attractive. Um, so I, I hope to be doing what I'm still doing now, but doing it in a bigger way so that I can just reach more people. Cause that to me is, it's great. It's great to meet someone for the first time and they've seen your work and they understand like what your intent is. But then I was like, I wish, I wish, you know, it just takes time. You can't, yeah. you can't rush it. So. Have you ever thought of yeah. you know pitching a, like a very similar series of what you do to someone like Netflix who's just churning out content? Yeah, the Chef's Table of Sound. Yeah. And I know nothing about Netflix. So lay it on me. You don't know anything about Netflix? I mean, I know I know I like watching it. Oh, okay. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's about he's talking about the inner workings. Of Netflix. Like, what, I mean, what are you doing in St. Louis if you don't know what Netflix? Is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's talking about the inner workings. No, I know, like, I know. know. <laughs> it's incredible right now. I, I think this is like the gold rush of documentary filmmaking. I think it's so amazing. Before you'd have to go to some art house theater to see some totally obscure not, not not all documented obscure but that's just kind of like the, the connotation no, they were harder to find yeah it's hard yeah. to find you go you go to sundance you go to some of the bigger film festivals and that was your chance to see it nowadays you have 
these amazing streaming formats that are bringing it into people's homes and to a wider audiences. And that's really exciting to me. So I think for me, I'm excited about those. I'm excited about streaming formats. I think it's too bad that you can't see it in a theater because I think that's where films should be seen. Um, but, you know, I, I think if it's, if it's people enjoy it and they get out of it what they do, then, then you, it's a win-win. So, yeah. What does your home theater look like? <laughs> what is it? it I went to, uh, we, I, got, I moved in, I was in the East Bay in the Bay Area. I, we bought a house in Marin and Nevada. And my, of course, my, my father-in-law. I got a 15-inch Vizio from Costco <laughs> and he's he, they came over for Thanksgiving and he's like your TV's not big enough I'm like yeah I know I know it's not big enough but like I don't <laughs> this is what I can yeah, afford I don't I, I watch like the Warriors like we watch the news on this like this I don't watch movies here right so like and I watch like like PlayStation like you know like that's like I play video games on this like yeah. I don't watch movies here so at some point I probably will get some type of like funky little oh, so you don't watch movies at all at home I try not to. I mean, I watched Moana on Blu-ray like a few days ago with my wife because like <laughs> it's a good didn't, didn't see it in theaters. Movie. But yeah. like, that's a good film that like, yeah, I want to be at home and sing Moana. So like, that'll, that'll, that's fine. But everything else, like I've seen so many good and bad films. I'll say them all. I've seen Power Rangers. I saw Life. I saw Ghost in the Shell. Um, Fast and the Furious. Uh, this is just recently. Will I mean, that I series see, ever end? They're on eight, I guess now. Yeah, the eight. I don't think, why would it end? I mean, why would it continue? <laughs> it's isn't it, it's the most successful series ever. I get, you know, that honestly, I get more out of seeing a film that I hate than a film that I like. Arrival is a great example. I love Arrival. I saw it twice. Did you cry? I, cried. I definitely cried the first I, time. I cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally cried. That's the last, that was the last film I cried in. And the first film I cried in. I think in, I'm crying right now thinking about it, actually. <laughs> I can't tell. I know. It's so sad. Like, <laughs> So they, I have a daughter, so it's just like, oh, oh yeah. no, don't do this to me. Oh, yeah, man. No. It's just like, oh. I mean, my home theater, is it's it's a 50-inch Vizio uh, that has HDR. I'm like, all right, this is good enough. Yeah, it's not big enough, but, like, I, I work in my office, and I look at stuff all, all the time. If I, I don't yeah. want to, yeah. If I want to enjoy something, I'll go to a concert or I'll go to a movie theater, like, yeah, I just, it's hard I just to do that. Yeah. There's so much content out. There's so many things being produced right. that you can't. Yeah, I agree with you. It yeah. would be great if everything would could be seen in a theater, but yeah. physically you can't because no. you just don't have the time unless you're totally independently wealthy and can just live in a movie theater. I mean, that's the dream always. Like, oh, I'll have the theater with the big, you know, the big chair and right. Yeah, popcorn. It'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool, but like, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So until then, I think even if I could afford having a theater like that. Does nothing beats going to the movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, other people being in in the room yeah. with you and strangers yeah. and yeah, yeah. It's like that. Then there's sometimes where you don't want to be in a theater with all those obnoxious <laughs> people who won't turn their phones off. It's like, yeah. why am I here with these people? Literally, I don't remember which movie it was, but it was several months ago. Someone answered and took a phone call. In the, uh, of the movie and in like the yeah. theater. And then, I, you know, I was at the point where like, oh god, should I say something? Like, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. I'm just like I'm livid. And then finally, the person in front of me turns around and just goes, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, everyone was just, like, clapping. Yeah, right on. That's the, fuck, that's the crazy thing about theaters is, like, people take it personally. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not going to do anything but watch this film. And if you're going to ruin that experience, like, I'm going to make hell for you. Like, put your right. phone away. Like, right. shut up. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about movies you know, or movie yeah. theaters. To you that can, point. You can live without your updates for five yeah, yeah. to 30 minutes. Put the phone down. 
Yeah. Huh. Just put it down, Gary. <laughs> You're the one always texting. <laughs> always texting. Rob's always texting. Always texting. It's a running joke. <laughs> it's all right. There's a time and place. Except the bathroom. You guys, are you guys bathroom texters? Oh, yeah. I get a lot of work no, done. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. I have anxiety. Uh, if I go into the bathroom and I, I don't have to. my phone, you have anxiety. anxiety. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh God. Oh, oh. That was actually, uh, from doing the art of listening, that was one of my favorite quotes. It didn't make it into the film, but uh, Gabe Rothy runs Daptone Records. He said, like, you know, some people will go and take a shit, and they'll and they'll use their phones. Like, that's the sacred place. Like, <laughs> like people used to enjoy that time alone, like, with no yeah. distractions. They're like, ah, you're right. Yeah. No, no, we, we, even that's escaped us. Motherfucker. Yeah, we have given up a lot. <laughs> but sometimes it's good just to put the phone down. And it's hard, man. I feel, you know, honestly, and, and um, I think the last thing I'll just say is, like, uh, actually getting outside. And where I live now, I have a lot of open space. And going out to nature... And just hiking and not looking at your phone and not and just talking and just not being distracted yeah. <laughs> in that way. It was been, it's yeah. been really refreshing and inspiring. So I've been trying to do more of that. Yeah, and, I try to do that with my kids. We like to, yeah. we love to go hiking and it's a good time to not have any connection. No phone, no iPad, yeah. no friends, just us out in the woods. It's good. I, I'm interested, like my nephews who are now four and yeah. two or something, how, how that their generation is going to be because, you know. I came up and didn't have it until middle school. So we'll see how this plays out if the robot doesn't take over. So what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago if you could travel back in the time machine? Mm -hmm. What type of time machine? Um, (laughs) Hot tub time machine. Hot tub time machine? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say DeLorean. (laughs) DeLorean. Um, I would say there's like always that feeling of, pleasing the client and I got that from my first project like I don't want to retell this story but my first project out of college was working with my professor um uh for Aerosmith he was a producer and I got a job as a PA with him for like eight nine months in Boston and through that job I used to be someone who hated the client relationship I hated doing stuff for other people I just wanted to do my own thing not because I was like selfish I just like I didn't understand how it worked like the relation the collaboration but then when you're working with Aerosmith it's like well you're there to serve this band and support them. And so I remember coming back uh, from the East Coast and totally recognizing that shift of my perspective of understanding you can help somebody, but you don't have to give them everything. Like you should still feel comfortable with um, speaking up and feeling confident. I mean, this is like early in my career, so I didn't know everything that I, you know, I thought I might need to know. But I think that was important that it's like just because they're a client or there's like, I think understands a collaboration is more important than just pleasing a client or pleasing or pleasing the other person because I feel like you give too much away and then you get angry and you're just resent <laughs> there's just resentment of of like well why am I doing this because I'm not getting anything out of it and it's not really fun for me and I think so much of my life or not life but so much of my early career was just like I'm making a living off of this this is a paycheck yes I'm shooting I'm making a living being a filmmaker and whatnot but you know I think I'd probably say like oh do you know, just be a little more advantageous when it comes to that relationship. Yeah. Now I talk back. I'm like, no, it's a dumb idea. Just, just get it, <laughs> it depends on the client, but that's where I, I feel like that's where I really appreciate my clients now because like I go in and it's like, you know, they're so like some of the big corporations is like, you know, they're very corporate. Mm-hmm. I come in, I'm like shooting at the hip. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, are we like, we've, we've talked about nothing. Like, just tell me what we're trying to do. And then it's like cut to the chase. It's just, you got to kind of, get through 
their reality to get to like my world. Well, they have like, so many yeah. layers. Yeah. You know, it's corporate America. Yeah. That, that is a very bureaucratic place yeah. to live. They're like, well, it's all right. Like we have to go get approval from these people. I'm like, all right, well just let me know when you're done with that. So like we can get back to what we were talking about. Right. <laughs> so no. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, I, that, that comes to mind. I'm sure there's a handful of others, but I don't really look back and be like, Oh, I wish I did something different. Cause I feel like that's like when I realized how many videos I've done and how much content I've done with Soundworks collection, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I look like, like an addict, like the amount of, con- I'm sure you guys might be the same way. Like, wow, we've done a lot of work in even this short amount of time. Either we really, I don't know, either we really like it. I don't know. Like you start questioning yourself. And I think that's like, no, you can't, like you're still doing it now because you enjoy it and you're still getting something out of it. So yeah, yeah. I think when you love something and it, and it really speaks to you, you can't help but be voracious about it. Mm-hmm. You just want to consume it and you want to share it and you want to, sh- you know, show other people. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I never, I, I would get really discouraged looking back and being like, oh, shoot, I wish I didn't do that. But I learned a lot from even the stuff I didn't really personally enjoy. Yeah, that's back, where some yeah. of the biggest lessons yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, I know, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, from the future doc, it's like the biggest lesson to me was like, oh, my gosh, really think about uh, your collaborators. I didn't, you know, I didn't fully understand like what it, you know, it's like a marriage when you're in a feature film. You know, you're working with someone for many, many, it's like, you know, three, four years or so. And so... You know, it's very different than a client, which is, you know, maybe a few weeks or maybe a month. You don't, you know, I was like, oh, wow. Like, you really have to think about your collaborators and, you know, going down that road. is incredibly just unexpected. And I think I learned incredible so much. And I feel grateful for, like. There's chemistry, right? Yeah. There's chemistry on a set. Everybody has to kind of gel in order to, to make this soup a good one. Yeah. And, uh, it's not always the easiest. It sucks, but it's also like, well, I learned so much. So, like, how right. how is he supposed to grow? Like feeling good about yourself and high-fiving like you're like no right. it's not gonna be great every time so <laughs> get over it yeah do you high-five yourself no i should try though <laughs> maybe i'll start doing that so here at nab are yeah. there any new crazy audio devices coming out that um yeah this well the sound devices has this cool um little three channel four channel recorder which you you guys should i hear buzz no one else hears it that, that's all right. Sorry, oh, he's blown up. No, but it's on. <laughs> that's all right. Um, Rob, will you stop texting for one minute? I'm not texting. No. <laughs> Shut up, Gary. <laughs> uh, what is it? Sound Devices has this beautiful three channel, four channel, which for me and for you guys would be awesome too. Um, you can use it for podcasts. You can use it as a um, as a interface. Um, that's really awesome. I don't know. I, like, I'm not as big, honestly. I, like, I love sound, but I don't geek out over sound as much as I do with the, the video and film stuff. I'm much more into lights and lenses and cameras and stuff like that. I, I just feel like the stuff I have, I love, and it works great. Until I see something that's substantially better, I don't really, you know, like look yeah. for like that, whatever. Well, I think so, it's important not to get t- too tied no. up in the gear. That's how you got a business. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not like a, a gear whore. Like. I think I have everything I need to get the job done. Like my my friends, they they call me like Streamline Productions because it's like you show up with like the least amount of gear possible. I'm like I know, but like I get the job done and I like how it looks. And like it might not be um as good as your stuff looks because you have C stands and you know, Kino flows and like all this really incredible heavy crap that doesn't yeah. fit in the case. <laughs> that like uh, you know I I just I feel like um you don't bring C stands. You just bring assistance to hold everything. <laughs> <laughs> Three guys Bollywooding and all that. I, mean, I, I honestly like before DSLRs. I would honestly have you know a tripod, a backpack, lenses, a little pop up light, and that was like that was it. So, so um, what are you shooting on now? What's your documentary um, film setup? I love it. 
I love the FS7 because we did what we, because we were working with Sony. They, they hooked us up with FS7, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and seeing that like in a theater on a big screen, I was like, oh, this does make a difference. And it makes a difference in when you grade it. It makes a difference at every step of the way. And so I really appreciated the FS7. I'm now like going down the rabbit hole of like, well, for this next one, what can I do differently? So I've been looking at the Amira from Alexa. You know, I'm not. It's more of like, well, can I just get new lenses with the FS7? Is that going to make the difference of what I really want? I don't know yet. I think I need to go and do some test shoots and kind of see really like. Are you shooting internally to the SD card or externally? Yeah, yeah, right now it's internal. And that's the thing. It's like, well, you can't. I don't I don't like having, you know, I, I love all the, you know, conversion design, Atomos, all these other recorders. But just my form factor, it just doesn't make sense of run and gun and yeah. having something. Slows you down. Slows you down, yeah. Um, unless you're like on you know, like an A7S or something, I've definitely used a recorder for that. Um, yeah, I think I'm more interested in just getting higher, more information, more data in your picture so that you can really work with it. Yeah. I felt like early on with early pictures, like I, I knew in my mind how I wanted it to look. I just couldn't get it there because you start pulling it apart and it just falls apart. The, the, the color and you know, all your blacks are crushed, your highlights are blown out, like there's no latitude. So sorry, like just do <laughs> shoot better and try to, you know, do better next time. I think now we're at a point where like it's starting to get closer to what I imagine it being in my mind. Um, and that's exciting because now it's more affordable and you can, you know, play with this a, a, a little more. Yeah. So you also have a podcast. Yeah. What's the hardest part of keeping a podcast going i don't know you tell me oh, <laughs> well i do yeah, I, I do a lot time. of them i mean i do yeah I, I do a lot of them um from my home in my studio because a lot of these guys are all over the place and i'm not doing it in person this is so much better in person because you can yeah. see the person and you 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 jive off of that energy sound quality is a little better in sound person too so much better yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean what i'm doing the first the reason why i start i i wasn't i was only doing it in person at first and once again someone came to me and said Oh, would you like to interview Martin Hernandez, the sound supervisor for Birdman? He's in New, New Mexico, in Mexico City. I was like, yeah, of course. Does he have a, can I call him? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I did over the phone. And I remember on my iPhone, like I split the audio, had a Y cable, had one going to a recorder, had one to my like headset. I was like, all right, this is going to be great. And then I realized, shoot, this really sucks. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was like, it's a yeah. typical cell phone sound. It's like, and you know, I, I do over Skype and stuff like that, but over in person is great. Um, I just, I, I like, I like long form content, like conversation. The video stuff is short form because there's kind of only so much you want to say, and people rambling on video is just there's people only so much rambling on video. Yeah, there's yeah. only so much B-roll that you can put until it yeah. gets boring. <laughs> it's like, oh, we saw that shot already. That's what that's what he's saying over there. Yeah. God, I'm getting the same shots. <laughs> How long do I have to hold this camera? <laughs> yeah. All right, so you've got soundworkscollection.com. Yeah. You have theartoflisteningfilm.com mm -hmm. where you, you can watch the whole thing for free. Right. The whole film's online. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there's colemanfilm.com. What else? It. What else is there? Three of them? Oh, there's, you know, the Facebook and the Instagram. Oh, yeah. We're on Twitter. It's all, I think it's under Coleman's film. Do you keep up with all of it or are you just like, have I you do. abandoned Twitter? Uh, no, I, I, I tweet, I, I treat Twitter as like anything I post on Instagram goes to Twitter. And then if I really want to say something on Twitter, I will. And I feel like I don't know really how to treat it. It's for Soundworks Collection, it's more important than it is for my own personal stuff. Yeah. Um, Twitter's interesting, but. Most of the stuff I'm putting on Facebook for Soundworks Collection. My personal stuff, you know, it's for your f friends and family, and I, I treat it more as for, like, a business aspect than personal. I'm not posting pictures of my personal life, I guess, as much as I'm thinking about, like, stuff I can share with friends. So, like, they yep. can keep up on projects you're working on. Yeah, I never I never really liked the idea of 
like everything you're doing every day, every minute you're showing off. So I try to like think about what I'm actually posting. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I posted more, but I just, I don't know. I second guess myself in that respect. So, yeah. Yeah. My posting's gone way down. I just, I'm, I'm kind of over it. Mine have never started. It's <laughs> because <laughs> you don't know the password. You're yeah. locked out of the account. Because I'm an old guy. I don't want to do <laughs> Honestly, it. like there was a point, I remember when Periscope came around, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I was like, yeah, like this is awesome. I was like, yeah, like my finger was like on record, like, no, I can't do it. That, I, I can't broadcast my own shit. Yeah. That, <laughs> it's so crazy that Periscope blew up and then like yeah. blew up and then blew up. <laughs> yeah. It blew uh, up and then crashed. And blew up. And, you know, you, like uh, I see Snapchat. I like my cousins who are much way younger. Like I understand that socially. Like that's different when you want to like fuck around with your friends. And, yeah. Like it's a social thing, not just like, I don't know, at a certain point you're like, dude, it's like two in the morning. Like leave me alone. <laughs> like I don't want to see your BS. <laughs> like where you're eating when you're that's, drunk. You know what? That's how my daughter communicates with a lot of her friends. They, yeah. you know, kind of Snapchat. Back I think it's forth. great. It's, it's a way to communicate. Yeah, we had sense. we had um, AOL Instant Messenger, right? Oh yeah, you chat remember rooms. it? You remember it? Chat, chat rooms. rooms. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I, dial up chat rooms no. on dial up. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I never really did that. He was I was, I, you know, I was. I'm way older, so you know, like I, I got my first cell. Let's put it this way: I got my yeah. first cell phone when I was out of college. I was a working pro. Nice, and it was a corded phone that went to a briefcase, like Michael Douglas Wall Street. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 how old I am, people. <laughs> I wouldn't know. It was baller. Your skin is flawless. <laughs> You can quote me on that on your website, by the way. I'm going to. <laughs> the most flawless skin on podcasting. Well, Michael, this has been a great conversation. We appreciate you making the time. And yeah, no worries. It was great to meet another documentary filmmaker. I, I love yeah. your stuff. Thanks, so, man. Uh, definitely check out ColemanFilm.com. Watch all of his shorts. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I don't know if you want to watch them. There's too many, but yes. No, check them out. I got one or two. Well, then take, take them off. Yeah. Take a few off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the scary thing, actually. When people are like, I've seen all your stuff. I'm like, really? Like, everything? I look at my Vimeo account. I just recently, I think it's like over 500. I'm like, oh, fuck. There's a lot of crap in there. I, I, yeah. I was tempted to delete so much stuff. I'm like, ah, no, it's it's for my children to yeah. enjoy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> they I don't have any children, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, soon. Soon. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, guys. To download this podcast and ch- to check us out, go to rggedupodcast.com. And also the MySpace page that Rob's created. Yes. Yes. Definitely check out our MySpace. <laughs> and SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes and the Google machine. The Google machine. We're also Don't on Google. That. Google Music. The stuff. Google. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks Bye. again, Michael. Bye. I hope you find what you're looking for, your grace. I told you there was some good stuff you could learn about photography. I would never lead you astray, your grace. Well, my name isn't heavily protected on the copyright. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a professional means being consistent with your exposure, no matter the situation. Sakonic light meters not only help photographers and filmmakers get it right in camera, they help them create a consistent style and save hours of post-production time. Head to Sakonic.com to learn more about their collection of time-saving tools and to see how they can help you become the professional you're meant to be.